Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is August 18th. I'm Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll. We're the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com, your source for all the brewers coverage you could ever want and desire and need. And we are back for more fun talking about the very fun Milwaukee Brewers. We're having fun, right, Matt? This, this, this is fun watching the Brewers? It is fun watching the Brewers. Damn it. Fun. I will hear nothing otherwise. Um, I don't know if anyone saw, but uh, the Thanos gauntlet is back. It had finally disappeared for a little bit. And now we've got a motorcycle vest or something. The player yeah. of the day vest. Uh, that McCutcheon was sporting today after his two bombs. Um, so the Brewers are trying to have fun, so we should all have fun, right? Yeah, we should we should have some fun. And, yeah, McCutcheon, two home runs, very deserving of the player of the game vest. So we got a player of the game vest. we got an infinity gauntlet. We have a bell. Um, what, else, what else do we have with this team? I mean, I feel like that's a lot more than most teams have. Yeah, n- normally – like a team has one little prop and that's a surprise. The Brewers just yeah. keep adding and adding. They still they got the show me some love. They got like the the snip mm-hmm. smell celebration thing. Yeah, I'm glad. Or that whatever. And then I, I think I saw Renfro do some sort of uh, weird new thing today. I forget what that was. And then Willie and McCutcheon have like that photo pose home run mm-hmm. thing. And then there's the Willie jump high five home run celebration. So, I don't know. They got a lot of moving parts there. But as long as they're having fun. That's right. And, and hey, things, it's a little easier to have fun uh, when you tie a series against the best team in baseball. Best team in the National League, at least. Exactly. And they had some opportunities there um, to, to make it a series win. But on Wednesday night, uh, they just were not quite able to close the gap just enough losing losing two to one but thanks to windmill jason the <laughs> Brewers were not shut out that was a risky send Ooh. at third base sending tyrone taylor i mean uh chris taylor out there in left field he got the ball before tyrone got to third and i was like oh no we're sending him this he's gonna be dead by a mile and the throw was up the first baseline and it was just far enough away to Allow Tyrone to scoot on in, and I'm like, all right, hey, great, we got a shot here. And then, of course, you know, they were not able to get another hit with runners in scoring position, and the inning ended, and they ended up losing. But, you know, hey, it's it's baseball. It happens. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the one game, the one loss where I wasn't going to freak out about because Tony Gonsolin, 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 Gonsolin. Um, yes. It sounds like a medication like a gondola. to get prescribed. Um, <laughs> uh, he's is in the right. It's, they were talking about it today. Like basically, he and Burns, for the most part, there's some other guys there too. Um, Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins, but really, like when it comes to perform big time performance on teams that are playoff contenders, it's Burns and Gonsolin for NL Cy Young this year. Gonsolin is a very good pitcher, and he does he's not. He's 15 give up and lot. one. I know win loss record is bullshit, but fifteen and one on the season. That's that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Bad pitchers, mediocre pitchers don't even go fifteen and one. Like you're a good pitcher uh to make that happen because that means you're always putting your team in position to win games. So he's very, very good, and the Brewers not winning a game against him is certainly not the end of the world compared to other losses this Same season. with Julio Urias. 
yeah, in the exactly. first game of the series. He's been very good pitcher for really, you know, a couple of years. He's also in the top five of Cy Young. Yep. Um, so that's a that's a tough uh, pitching staff to go up against. We talk, you know, we're Brewers fans. We see it up close. We talk talk up the Brewers pitching development, but Dodger pitching has been very good for a while. And it, yeah, they spent and we didn't a lot face of money. Kershaw or Bueller, right? And they spend a lot of money, but I mean, these are guys that they developed, like or picked a guy like Andrew Heaney today. I mean, the Brewers ended up like treating him like he was Andrew Heaney, but he came into today with a sub two ERA and seven starts. Like they were even able to get him to look good this year until he came up against Milwaukee. So they do some good things with their pitching staff over there in Los Angeles. And so it's no small feats splitting a series against them. So I'll take it. Yeah. And um, yeah, just, you know, incredible, uh, grip they have there and the Brewers were able to you know Haney's a lefty and they're able to chase mm-hmm. him get some good hits there McCutcheon with the two homers against the lefty Renfro with a home run so it's like hey success against the left-handed pitcher who would have thunk yeah um, and then yeah so you got a buzzsaw there with the Dodgers pitching staff and then you know their offense just your run-of-the-mill Mookie Betts Trey Turner and Freddie <laughs> Freeman you know just throw those guys in there so you know it's yeah just just a total cakewalk but no a, a series split there even at home, I think that's that that's huge for them to be able to get. So it adds on to the fun, the funness of the yeah. week. And Matt, I know no one in Brewers uh, fandom has had more fun of a week than you with Mario Feliciano yeah. getting some starts and getting his first career major league hit. My guy, first career major league hit, first career um, caught stealing for the defensively catching a base runner stealing. Um, and I didn't think he was going to have that one because when they showed the runner break, um, they, I'm trying to remember who what, who was pitching. Was that still Lauer at that point? It might have been. Pitching. But uh, it's Mario the, Feliciano, the man. Delivery, yeah. But the delivery How could you doubt him? Forever. I'm like, he's not going to have time to throw him out. Oh, and it was just a perfect on-the-money throw right where it needed to be. Oh, I felt like a proud papa watching that game. And then he pulls out another walk later in the game, you know, just in case. He was on late innings. Yeah. yeah. When uh when Yelly knocked in the one run for the Brewers, he would have been the guy to score had they been able to tie it that inning, but it was not to be. Not like the first time he scored a run against the Dodgers in his uh season debut. So, um he was trying after to drawing a walk. Yeah, and after drawing a walk. So, he was trying to trying to repeat some action there, but uh no, unfortunately not. But uh, no, it was it was good to see. Um, and actually, uh, it was it was fun talking with the the boys in Green Bay. Um, it was Alex and Balky today, um, and they asked about Mario Feliciano and whether he's you know auditioning to be the Brewers starter next season. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the case because um, I do think Caratini comes back. But uh, he's got to be in the mix there, so he's getting a little bit of a chance here. I don't know if he'll get. Uh, He's got basically one more chance tomorrow to maybe get some playing time because Narvaez is supposed to come back on Saturday. Um, mm. But uh, we'll see. It, it, it was fun. It was certainly fun seeing my boy get some stats there. Yeah. So uh, just quick question. What is uh, – can we get a progress update on the statue uh, for Mario Feliciano <laughs> that you're going to be building to put outside American Family Field? Um, It is not as far along as – 
Josh's statue for Luis Urias. Josh Waldock, one of our contributors, big Luis Urias stand. Um, but it's it's the foundation has been laid. It's uh, okay. It's 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 in progress. All right, we're we're working from the ground up. Here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that is in fact how you build statues. Really, I did not know. Yes. So Crazy. I've been told. I mean, this is my first time building a statue, but uh, that's, right. that's what I'm aware of. So we're putting it together with uh, bubble gum and duct tape, and it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be great. <laughs> beautiful, such a beautiful one. Yeah. So you know, first hit of you know perhaps three thousand for Mario Feliciano. Who knows? Uh, he's gonna get a statue one day, but. <laughs> Um, you know, getting getting healthy is really kind of key, and you know, Narvaez coming back, and um, you know, Caratini has done a really great job uh, in his absence, kind of filling in as the everyday guy. Another walk off for Caratini this past week, eleven innings. I I tell you what, that Tuesday game, I did not think they were going to pull it out when Chris Taylor made that oh. catch again, again. He just oh. Every single time, it's a big moment late in the game. In an, in an important game, Chris Taylor just running out there on the outfield just has to make some amazing all-out diving, jumping catch to rip the hearts out of every single one of us and laugh in our faces. And I said it then, and I'll say it again. I hate him with the fire of a thousand suns. <laughs> That is how much I hate him, and especially when he does it again. But this time, it was a happier ending ending because of Victor Caratini. Yes. Oh, my. And the, the catch that he had, too, it was like he was coming from center instead of left. And so he was running in a slightly in a different angle. So he was going over his left shoulder instead of over his right but it was basically the same, like kind of reaching up over the shoulder a little mm-hmm. bit outstretched. Like it was, it was basically a mirror image almost of the one from 2018. So frustrating. I think it was Brewer Nation who um, posted. I, I've never seen this before. He said, "I game hate that guy." I was like, "Okay, yeah. oh, I like that because you don't you don't actually." I'm sure he's a nice guy. guy. I'm I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's a great person. I'm sure he's got puppies and, and, you know, he loves (laughs) puppies. And I'm sure he doesn't actually, you know, he's not actually a horrible person. But uh, between the lines, yes, he is. Yeah. So (laughs) So we got we got to hate the guy because he keeps he keeps trying to rip our hearts out. But no, that uh, that Caratini uh, little one that he dumps in there to right in front of Betts. Hunter Renfro after the bunt. By the way, let's yes. before we get to we that, need to talk about the bunt Hunter because Renfro. I was shocked. I was I was I was about to fire off a tweet about how I want Hunter Renfro to hit this ball so far that Chris Taylor can't even come close to trying <laughs> to catch it. Before I can send it, he drops down a bunt. I'm like, well, so much for that. And I'm just like, wait a minute, why is Hunter Renfro? Of all people, bunt like Renfro should be the guy that you're hoping to, you know, just hits the big two run homer and there you go. That's all you need. But oh my, like the bunt and then Craig Council post games like, yeah, uh, Hunter did that on his own. I did not call that. I'm like that makes a lot more sense because there is no way. And then uh, later, I think it was 
Keston or Colton or, or somebody like showed bunt in the middle of a count and pulled it back. I'm just like, again, like has yeah. Craig Council just discovered bunting? Is is this like a caveman <laughs> discovering fire? Yeah, I think that was Colton, if I remember, because I, I can I can picture him um, faking one. But yeah, Renfro totally, and he he talked about it himself. Um, he saw that they were kind of giving it to him, and he decided to do it. Um, his second bunt attempt ever. His first one was earlier this year and was successful and because of uh, being a sacrifice bunt. Yeah. Now, if they, uh, Council doesn't call that sack bunt, because I imagine Council did actually call for that one. No, wait, that was the game that Council was ejected. Oh, so that might have been right. that, that might have been Pat Murphy calling that. That's right. I think you're right. So if Pat, I was at that game and I was stunned. Yeah. If Pat Murphy doesn't call for that. I can't imagine that Renfro uh, has the guts to do it during that game against the Dodgers. I think that Sack Bunt made Renfro at the very least slightly realize, you know what? I can do this. Like I can bunt and I'm actually kind of good at it. So yeah. that like, maybe that's what kind of got the idea in his head of, you know what? I'm going to watch for it. And if the situation's right and it feels like, you know, maybe the defense is giving it to me, I'm going to give it a shot. And, it was just the perfect situation, and I I thought Muncie might have actually had somewhat of a chance had he thrown it because there was one angle where you could see from behind Muncie and Renfro going down the line. I was like, he might have actually been able to give it a shot, but uh, Muncie, Muncie didn't throw. He ate it, and Renfro gets on base, and then and then later, so now we got to get to the actual uh, walk off. Caratini hits the single in front of Mookie, and. Renfro was going like he would have he would have been full send if somehow Betts ends up catching that Renfro was right behind McCutcheon to the point that as he's rounding third he actually had to slow down so that he could kind of regain speed and be in sprint mode once he got to home plate um it was it was something Renfro that was a hell of a way to end the game and he ends up scoring right behind McCutcheon and Brewers walk it off yeah, I think he said post game was like I was ending that game either way. I mean, if he caught it, I would have been doubled off, and that would have been it. And you know, if he didn't, I was I was going, man. Like McCutcheon was getting ready to tag up. I mean, he was right behind him because mm-hmm. um, McCutcheon kind of you know had that responsibility a bit more. But you know, I think it was really just kind of a, a pretty good read. I mean, you could kind of like yeah. tell off the bat, it's like yeah, he's he's probably not going to get there. That, that's going to fall. Yeah. So he made that good early read, and and it worked out, and. Hey, big win. So we will yeah. we will absolutely take it, especially considering how that game really could have gone and how depressed everyone was as, as soon as Chris Taylor made that catch because ah. I was I was ready to throw things against the wall and it would not have been pretty. Yeah. And and Homer to tie that game, by the way. He tied it at 3 with his home run off of Matt Bush who had been on a nice little streak God, um, until that then. Guy. Um, Taylor was just doing everything he could to ruin that day for the Brewers fans, and it just was not to be. Not this time, Chris Taylor. Yeah. Now, if only we could make this count in the postseason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if only we, we could have said not this time back in 2018. You know, that yeah. would have been that would have been nice. My friend, uh, my friend Hunter uh, over at uh, 97.3 of the game uh, in Milwaukee, he posted the video of the original catch in 2018, and I'm just like, dude. No, <laughs> not today. I, I posted a screenshot of me basically like threatening to block him. 
I didn't actually, but he's like, wow, it's going to be that way. I'm like, dude, you like you posted this. Like, what do you expect? Like it was like now is not the time for us to go through this. But yeah, yeah it was uh, it was rough, but we got the win. It's all that matters. Yeah. Woo-hoo. So now uh, so now yeah. it is the Chicago Cubs yep. coming on up and. Wilson Contreras is still there. I thought by this time, you know, like after we faced him last time, I was like, oh, finally, we won't have to face Contreras anymore because they're going to trade him at the deadline. <laughs> no, he's staying put. And now you got to face Contreras and the Cubs again. But the Cubs are still bad because they're the Cubs. And, you know, now you got to you got to keep on getting back on track, winning those games against NL Central opponents. Because the Brewers are sitting, what, two or three games back in the division Five, right games. now? Three games. Three games. Three and a half for a little bit after the Cardinals slaughtered the Rockies today, and then Brewers went yeah. back to three. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, the, the division is not looking, you know, like falling three games back. And really, I'm not too surprised. I mean, you saw how this team was coming out of the trade deadline. They, they were so bad trying to get back into it. And then you got a tough stretch here with the – you got seven games against the Dodgers in, like, ten days. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they got they got the series against the Cubs this weekend. And then they got three more against Los Angeles in Los Angeles at the beginning of next week. So, you're facing your Cardinals all right in here. And then the Cubs again after that. I don't know who built the schedule, but it's stupid. Yeah. And – yeah, I mean, then after that, it, it should be fairly smooth sailing with the schedule. A lot of home games, um, mm-hmm. a lot of weaker opponents, but it's it's such a rough stretch coming out of the deadline. Now they put themselves in a hole. They're no longer the one. They're no longer the chasee. They are the chaser. Yeah, they are. Um, they've got a real good opportunity here. Coming up, like you said, um, playing against the Cubs. I know, I I think we're down in the ser- season series right now, based off of what happens um, right around the All Star break. Um, but they are the Cubs. Like, sorry, and they traded away some of their um, better relievers, so they should be a little bit weaker and hopefully easier to take advantage of. Even though this next series is on the road, um, but you've got them before and after a series against the Dodgers, then the Pirates. Then you've got games in uh, September, Craig Timber, um, yes. against teams like the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, the Reds. Um, it gets a little tough in the middle with Cards, Yankees, Mets, sure. Reds, Cardinals again, Marlins, Diamondbacks again, Marlins again. Like that's Those are teams the Brewers can do well against. So um, they really, really just need to lock in against the winning teams. And the Brewers actually... Uh, believe it or not, have a good record against uh, teams over 500. I tweeted this out just a little while ago. Um, the Brewers, after the win today, are 32 and 31 against teams over 500, and that may not necessarily sound by a lot, um, but they are one of only six teams with a winning record against teams over 500. And those other teams are, I believe it was the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rays, and one other team, not the Cardinals. Probably the Mets. Uh, not the did I not say the Mets? If it if not, it's the Mets. Um, yeah, yeah. All teams that are either very easily in the playoffs right now or in playoff contention. Um, so the Brewers do generally hold their own against teams with winning records. They, if you think back, they won 
you know, one of the series or split it against the Padres. They won the series against the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. They swept the season series against the Rays. The Brewers can perform well against the winning teams. They really just need to do even better against teams under 500. Um, they're only, they're what, eight games over, which is all right, but not, you, you want to see them stomping these teams out. So um, they have a chance to do that against the Cubs and really build some momentum going into September. And then you never know what can happen. The Cardinals also have a weak schedule, but the Brewers have some games against them where they can control their own destiny. Who knows what happens in the division? Who knows what happens in the wild card? They're basically right there. Um, I know the last time I looked, the Braves were leading it. Um, I believe the Phillies were in it, and they're a roller coaster themselves. Um, and they just put Bryce Harper on the 60-day IL, so you know they're not getting their big guy back. Um, the Padres are the other team in the wild card, and the Dodgers actually have a ton of games left against the Padres, so maybe the Dodgers can help the Brewers out a little bit and beat up on the Padres and you know maybe improve their wild card positioning a little bit if it comes down to the wild card. But the Brewers definitely still have a path to the playoffs. They just need to do their job. Um, and being able to split a series against the Dodgers is um, at least a little bit encouraging that they can get it done the rest of the way. Yeah, and you know that's something that you know we'd really like to see. I'd like to see them make their fifth straight postseason appearance and give themselves a, a shot. And perhaps you know Craig Timber can strike again, and they can get hot heading into October. And then who knows what can happen? But I, I think there's a large segment of uh, at least a decent sized segment of the fan base, or at least on Brewers Twitter, that almost wants to see them fail just <laughs> to be proven. Right. I mean, we've seen we've seen a lot of neg- negativity on Brewers Twitter surrounding the Brewers over the years. You know, they've they've made the postseason each of the last four years. They end up falling short of the World Series each and every time. And, you know, some resentment has really kind of built up uh, among some. And, you know, just this team hasn't been able to get it done. Maybe they never will. And, you know, blame going out to either Atanasio or Stearns or whoever. And then the deadline this year. Uh, was certainly a breaking point for a number of people uh, seeing Josh Hader traded away, nothing really of impact coming back. And then it's just really kind of spiraled since then, especially with the team not performing as well post deadline. And I, I really feel like some people are just so concerned with being proven right on their negativity that they almost want the team to lose, to be proven right rather than, have the team win and have everyone like everyone can be happy that way. Oh, the, the Brewers are winning. They made the playoffs like that. Like, this is great. This is good news. Instead of being happy about that, they just want to be proven right in the negativity. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. We've discussed it, you know, just in chatting as well. And we've both been of the mindset that, you know, you're allowed to feel the way you feel about the Brewers when things are going good and when things are going bad. We certainly did not shy away from our feelings after the trade deadline, both here on this podcast as well as on the website. You know, we put forth our honest feelings, our honest assessments of how we felt like things went. And, you know, we generally try and stay optimistic, both you and I, um, and we, we try and make sense of things even when they might not make sense at the time. And, you know, 
look at the upside of certain things when it may not seem like there's an upside, but when it seems like it's all downside or when it seems like it's, you know, all the deciphering in the world doesn't make it make enough sense, we'll say that out loud. And so, you know, feel how you want to feel. If you're going, if you want to feel frustrated about the brewers, feel frustrated about the brewers. That is totally fine. If, if you're mad at some of the moves they made, be mad, but it's, like you were kind of just getting at, like taking it to the point of irrationality or just wanting them to, again, do poorly. Like I can be frustrated with their moves. I'm never going to want them to do poorly just to Mm -hmm. prove some point that I have in my own head. That just, that just seems ridiculous to me. Like that's just being negative for the sake of being negative. And that just, that just seems unhealthy. And so, you know what? Like I'm, we we've talked enough about the trade deadline and there's still parts of it that frustrate me. Um, but I'm over that at this point, I want to see the brewers do well. I want to see them, you know, finish the season strong and I want to see playoff baseball. I want to see a world series <laughs> more than anything, yes. but I, I want to see playoff baseball, you know, regardless if it's a first round exit or if it's a world series title. And then I want them to continue doing that. And each off season, I would like to see them make moves that get them closer to that. Sometimes there's they're going to make moves that are unpopular with me or other people. And you know what? I'll speak my mind about those things. But right now, I want to see the Brewers play well. And I'm not going to just be negative for the sake of being negative. And it's it's weird to me that some people want to be that way. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's lingering frustration for sure. And there's reason to be, I mean, especially with, you know, after that trade deadline, there is no way to make any more moves or, or any sort of impact on this team. So every time the offense falls short, it's going to be, well, why didn't you get another hitter? We could have used another hitter. Every time Matt Bush or Taylor Rogers doesn't perform well, it's going to be like, well, hmm, that trade was dumb getting those guys. And that is, it's just kind of what it turns into. And, you know, it's tough. And, yeah, we certainly – we're frustrated. I mean, if you go back to you know episode number 100 of this <laughs> podcast, that was uh, very much a, a lot of frustration. And, you know, I think even the the Brewers brass, like their front office, like Stearns and Atanasio and them were a little taken aback by the negative outrage from some of the fans. But and, you know, like really for me, like I was initially fine with the hater trade. You know, when it was initially made, it's like, OK, yeah. you get a, you get a mix of talent. Uh, some big league guys to help out, some prospects. So, like, this seems good, but this was also assuming they were going to be following it up with some other big moves for some hitters to to really kind of, you know, add some impact players to this team and get them to where they need to be, and they didn't follow it up with that. So then that made the hater trade look worse, in my opinion, and then DFNG and Nelson Lamette uh, made it look even, even worse, in my opinion. And it's just kind of had this snowball effect like those couple of days, like the hater trade, but then followed by two more relievers and then getting rid of Lamette. And then, you know, then you see Jake McGee get DFA'd. You see Trevor Kelly get called back up or Jason Alexander get called back up. It's like, we really couldn't have found a spot for Denelson Lamette in here, but it's just, uh, it's it's just kind of, you know, taken a line. I'm just I'm almost a little surprised at how taken aback they, they seem to be. It's like, okay, you put out a statement. Like, as soon as they made the hater trade, they put out a statement regarding why they made it. 
you don't do that unless you know there's going to be a whole bunch of negative blowback. Yeah. Like, David Stearns never really has to provide an explanation for his moves. It's just like, hey, we thought this would make the team better. Like, that's just what it is. And when they have a statement ready explaining why they traded Josh Hader, you knew there was going to be blowback. Mm -hmm. And especially with how those following parts played out, that blowback was well-deserved. No matter how great you've been in the past, and David Stearns has been great at, at his job. And the, the things he's been able to do with this front office, it, it's been incredible. And he's built up a, a lot of trust. And I still do trust David Stearns. But when you have those moves kind of all happen in that order, and you know, especially with not getting a bat, and then with getting rid of Lamette, and then getting rid of McGee three days later, it just makes it look so dumb and poorly planned, which is so unusual for these guys. And, you know, some of that blowback, like it, it certainly was deserved. You know, some people did take it a little bit over the top when someone just like, oh, well, he should just, you know, go ahead and leave for New York then. Or is he going to get fired? Maybe he should get fired. It's like, okay, you need to chill. <laughs> so, some of these people on Twitter really need to chill. Uh, I saw someone be like, does, do you think Craig Council needs to go? No, no. Council's not <laughs> going anywhere. Council has this job for as long as he wants it. I mean, th- this is his destination job. He's at, He really is a really good manager, and he's not going to want to go anywhere. So Stearns has this job as long as he wants it, essentially. Council has this job as long as he wants it. Some people need to accept that, and there may be some mistakes along the way, and I do think this trade deadline, how it played out was, was a mistake, and, and it played out very poorly. But they're going to be here, and this team – they're going to be trying to make it, trying to make it good, and trying to make it a World Series caliber roster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the other problems with you know everything in the blowback is just kind of the the specific microscope that you're looking at this trade deadline in. You've got a fan favorite in Josh Hader that was moved, and players that came back that are either not here anymore or have underperformed, or haven't even performed yet, like Trevor Rosenthal. Like, it was just, it was a weird set of things that a lot of people look at as being largely negative in return for the Brewers, and nothing really positive to offset it. You go all the way back to 2018, the Jonathan Scope deal was a part of that. People Mm -hmm. didn't like it, but you had Moose to kind of offset it. It was still largely a good thing, as well as some pitchers that they end up getting. In 2019, the Brewers ended up trading away uh, Jesus Aguilar, a fan favorite for Jake Faria. That didn't end up working out. But you ended up also having a trade for Drew Pomerantz, and things were generally going well then, too. Although we did not like it initially. We did Because everyone thought it was going to be either Will Smith or Madison Bumgarner, and it turned out to be Pomeranz. Significantly, it turned out to be Very significant. Yes. Um, but he ended up doing amazing for the Brewers, and that kind of, you know, settled things. Um, last season, you did have the two the two relievers in John Curtis and Norris were, you know, didn't particularly work out. But they were relatively minor moves and didn't have a, you know, big thing like Hater combined with them. So Brewers fans kind of brushed it off because for the most Plus part. Plus he added Eduardo Escobar. Yeah, and they added Edward. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Forgot about him. So that did actually end up getting offset by another. So far, this hasn't been offset by 
a really good move. So Brewers fans are only seeing negativity out of what happened during this trade deadline. And so, yeah, there has been more blowback. Now, that can be fixed by winning games and Bush and or Rogers turning things around. Trevor Rosenthal, if he comes in in September and basically just throws zeros on the board, I'm sure you'll get a little bit of forgiveness from Brewers no. fans out of things. Not for me. Not for me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I do wonder a little bit, actually, uh, I was thinking about this earlier, if the Brewers are brought him in partially to see what he's got with the intent of maybe bringing him back next season. Um, and by maybe having him here, that kind of, you know, gets him in their good graces, them in his good graces to where he would prefer to sign here over summer. I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. The price but, was still too high to pay for that. Oh, it absolutely was still too high to pay for that for a, for a month. Um, yeah. And a guy a, who hasn't a pitched in two good, years. And a very good prospect that you got rid of. But regardless, he would, like I said, he's got to be flawless for Brewers fans to even be okay with that move. But again, like it's, there's maybe a little bit of time, but there was nothing amazing that is like, oh, it's fine because we got blah, blah, blah. Like that didn't happen this year. And so that's why there's just a completely different reaction. And like we talked about last uh, week, maybe their in- intent the entire time was they would, they, we said that it wasn't their plan A. They planned on bringing in a bat and just nothing ended up materializing. So maybe they thought that it would be offset by one of those things like all the other years. And it just, that's just not what worked out. And that's what led us to this. I don't know, but that's, that's where we are. So it kind of explains the mindset of some of the Brewers fans and how things got to where they were. Yeah, it's yeah, the, the certainly the lack of follow up moves, you know, made it much more difficult. You know, there was a trepidation. It's like, OK, this is kind of, you know, whatever, like that first day. So it was the day before the deadline. And then following it up with, you know, the dud on Tuesday was just brutal um, and you know, one way, like there are a couple of ways that, you know, that hater trade could have come across so much better. Number one, keeping Denelson Lamette. Um, mm-hmm. But number two, call up Asturi Ruiz. Yep. I mean, he was the bat that you got. I mean, that kid's a spark plug. Um, put him in there, like near the top of the order. I mean, he's got a, he's got speed for days. He's got 64 stolen bases in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, put him out there in center field. You know, he can't. He can't be much less productive than Tyrone Taylor and Jonathan Davis out there. Put Ruiz in there. He's lighting up AAA. Uh, Sal Freelich's lighting up AAA as well, as is Garrett Mitchell. Call up any one of those guys. Um, you know that. But if you call up Ruiz, it's like, okay, this is one of the bats we got. You know, he's got some big league experience already. Put him in there. You know, see see what happens, and it, it, it's worth a shot. That could salvage. You know, this in, in the mind of, of some people. It's like, okay, like we may have traded Hater. But we did get a bat out of this, and now this bat is up here, and he's producing. Mm-hmm. So that could have helped fix it. But like the the longer those guys sit in the minors, is it's like what are we doing down there? Like clear, like call someone up. This offense needs something. It needs some kind of a spark. And it's just although Bruce Twitter has found an answer, mm-hmm. and of course Bruce Twitter answer is. Play Keston Hira every single day. <laughs> we got to talk Keston Hira, Matt. Yes, we do. We should. Be- because, you know, he's back up and he's, you know, continuing to. 
produce similarly to what he was before. You know, he's hitting righties extremely well, has a sitting 307 with an OPS over 1,000 against righties, eight of his 10 home runs, um, hitting 175 with a 548 OPS against lefties. So his numbers against lefties have improved from where they were earlier in the season. Um, but still overall, um, in 16 at-bats, he's got six strikeouts in the second half. He's he's five for 16 in the second half with six strikeouts. Two of his five hits were home runs. So still has a strikeout issue that's still very high. He's hitting some homers, and that's salvaging his OPS. But the strikeout numbers, man, they are they are tough. Yeah, they they are, and they're going to be. Um, he, yeah, forty five percent roughly still, right? Um, was that yeah. for strikeout rate? Like I mean, forty three to forty five percent ish. That's that's a lot. Like that that is a ton of strikeouts. Um. But when he's not striking out, he is producing. So I get wanting to get him some more um, uh, playing time. He's got his OPS plus of 131. That's close to his career high from 2019. I mean, that's that's crazy to think um, that that's the case. But then, you know, if it has to just be against right-handers, um, get him some playing time against right-handers. You go against more right-handers anyway. Like, there there is some playing time to be had there. But, I mean, I guess who's the obvious odd man out if you're going to play Keston here? That's the thing. Like, are you, are you, are, are you wanting to give Rowdy Tellez less at-bats? You're the, your home run leader? I believe he's still a home run leader, correct? Like, I, I didn't yeah. know something there. Um, are, are you taking McCutcheon out, who had two bombs today and scored um, a run on uh, Renfro's bomb? Um, are you taking out, you know, Yelich, uh, I know he was in a little bit of a slump, but he's Christian Yelich. Like, who, who, who are you taking the at-bats from to play Kesson Hira? Uh, Colton Wong, even. Colton Wong's actually been very good since the beginning of June by the numbers. Um, yeah. And he's yeah. been much better defensively lately, too. Yes, he has. Although even Colton Wong at his worst defensively is still better than Kesson Hira at his best defensively. That is true. That is very Yeah, true. I do not want Kesson Hira at second base again, ever. Kesson Hira um, is nearly a defensive liability at designated hitter, let's be honest. That's how <laughs> bad his defense is. Yeah, uh, it's – but no, like, I mean, for, for finding him spots, I mean, you could have a platoon at DH with Keston against righties and McCutcheon against lefties. I mean, they signed McCutcheon to help them improve against lefties. And McCutcheon's two home runs today came off a lefty yeah. and Andrew Haney. So I, I could definitely see them trying to put it that way. That's probably the easiest path. You know, I don't think that's something it's not something that you typically do having two right handed hitters platoon mm-hmm. at DH. Um, but I mean, with the reverse splits that, that Keston has, I mean, that's kind of almost what you have to go with. Yeah. So but I mean, also, like you look at his numbers, like his OPS, his OPS plus, all, all things like that. This has been a fairly limited sample size for Hira. I mean, he only he only has one hundred and thirty eight at bats. On the season, he's only like looking at his numbers by the month here. The most games he's played in a single month is 13, and that was April and March combined. Um, and I'm not sure how many he played in March. So really, the most would be what June with 12 games in a month, 10 starts. 
I mean, he really doesn't play that often. So it's it's just kind of, you know, tough to see them like trying to trying to get him going when he's not playing every single day and he's not being put in the best opportunities to succeed. I mean, he's always in there starting against lefties, even though he's terrible against them. And, you know, he, he when he finally does get some starts against righties or, or some at-bats against righties, he hits them incredibly well. So it's just it's just kind of confusing how, you know, eventually you have to kind of pick a direction with him. You either have to start him every single day or just kind of move on from him because the, the way he's going right now, you're not going to be able to find out what he truly is and if the adjustments he's made are, are truly going to work if he's not playing often enough. Yeah, it, it's true. Um, I I wonder if they get a little bit of encouragement out of what's happened this season about how he has kind of turned some things around because he has, you know, he's worked on some things mechanically and he has looked better um, in this second half of the season. So, you know, are, do they continue kind of playing him the way that they have and maybe get him some more playing time next year? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to have him in the position he's in when he brings little to nothing on defense. Like if he at least had something in the tank defensively, you could justify having him as as part of a platoon somewhere. And yeah, you have the DH like that's you at least have that. But it but that's just one position like for a player who has such a significant offensive hole when it comes to strikeouts like Keston Hira does you would hope that he would offer something more defensively. So he's basically limited to really only being effective defensively as a DH, and he strikes out in half of his playoff and half of his plate appearances. Like that's tough. That's a that's a tough. To it's tough to make that dude an everyday player. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. It's hard justifying keeping a player like that around um, as much of a fan favorite as he is, and as much uh, as his hits that he does get are like loud ones basically hence why his you know ops is so high he only has two doubles can you believe that he's got 10 home runs and he's got two doubles yeah so his ops is completely based off of home runs because it's jacking up his slugging percentage and the fact that he does have a good on-base percentage um does have an uh, on-base percentage of 350 which is good he's a three true outcomes hitter but essentially basically so yeah, it's it's like I know people are clamoring for him. They want to see more of him, and they see some of those numbers um, and want to justify it based off of that. But it's kind of like you're getting at it. It's a little misleading at times because there are some still some significant flaws in his game and, um, you know, some negative outcomes. That when you're striking out half the time, that can be a rally killer right there when you've got a 50% chance that it's he's going to just end up turning around and walking back to the dugout. Like, that's uh, – it, yeah. it's tough. We, we all want him to see him do well, but that's the reality of his situation. Yeah, and it, ju- it just makes it so much harder for Craig Council to, to pencil him in there every single day, pencil him in more often. And I said it the other day. It's like we're not at the point in the season now where we're trying to get guys at bats. We're trying to put the best lineup out there to win. Um, and if Kesson's not that guy and, you know, really, is he one of the top nine hitters on this team? I mean, you look at OPS, you know, sure. OPS plus. Yeah. But 
it's limited sample sizes. I mean, same thing really kind of goes for Mike Brasso when he's hitting cleanup. Like, you know, you look at his numbers and overall they seem solid, but very limited sample size. Like he's got, I think, less than 200 at bats as well. So it's hard to draw too much from those guys versus, you know, the other ones who have 400 plus ABs on the season already and they're playing every single day. So how much of an upgrade are, are they really? And it's just, it, it's tough. You want to get him those at bats. You want to see what he can do, but you know, I, I think Craig is right as well. Like, I mean, you're in the final month and a half of the season. You're trying to win games. You're in a playoff race. It's not just about, Oh, well, we'll stick him out there just to try to get him some ABs. No, you got to try to win every single game and put your best lineup out there that you think can win you that game. And if you don't think that's Keston because, you know, you're putting him in a situation, well, he's not currently good against them, but we got to, we got to put him out there to get him the ABs. Then I don't get it. But then at the same time, he also pencils him in there against lefties all the time. Yeah. So it's, it's like, which is it? Are we putting the best lineup out there to win or, you know, because Rowdy has good numbers against lefties, much better than Keston's. So why doesn't Rowdy play more against lefties? Why does he sit and Hura plays first against lefties? It's, it's like council's kind of council's wrestling with the same kind of thing. Like, should I play him? Should I not? And trying to get him some ABs and, you know, he's trying to fit him into that platoon mold of facing lefties, but that's just not what his numbers back up. And I think right. that's why everyone's so flustered as to why he's not playing more or not playing more against righties. Right. I, I don't, I, I don't know what the perfect answer is there. Um, because you you have that's the thing is like the entire team struggles against lefties, which generally means the trend is that the entire team does well against righties. So I mean I shouldn't say the entire team, but by and large, I mean the team, all of the as a whole, the team performs better against righties. Maybe that's the better way to put it. Yeah. Um. So there are still good players who also aren't Keston Hira to put in the lineup when a right-handed pitcher is on the mountains. Um, one thing that I kind of just pulled up, um, and maybe part of this is because they, you know, at least for a while, definitely insisted on playing Hira versus lefties. Um, if wins are the important statistic here for a baseball team, ultimately, uh, after today, when Keston Hira is in the lineup, the Brewers, uh, whether he starts or not, um, the Brewers are 25 and 25 on the season. So they are 500 when Kesson Hira plays in a game. Overall, the team is nine games over 500. So that's been your result when Kesson Hira is in the lineup. Now, again, if they're not putting him in a position to succeed by playing him against lefties, that probably plays into it a little bit. But, I mean, that is that is also another reality of Kesson Hira's situation, is that when he is in the lineup, the Brewers win, lose as many times as they win. So... Uh, but you have to dig, dig deeper to figure out as to exactly why that is. Yeah, it's and then when he's not in the lineup, they win more often than they lose. Right. So it's yeah, it's it's a very tough situation for for all involved. And yeah, I don't know the right answer either. I don't think council knows the right answer. I don't think I don't think anyone in the Brewers organization really knows what the right answer is. I think they're still trying to to figure it out and just, you know, maybe they're just hoping that he'll figure something out against lefties and can become, you know, passable as a more regular option. But 
he's got to cut down that strikeout numbers because even with you know his high OPS or OPS plus, even with all those numbers looking good, if that 45% strikeout rate continues, as he gets more at-bats, those numbers are going to drop. Mm-hmm. You can only have so many home runs or, or whatever that are going to save your OPS when you strike out 45% of the time because like that's that's 45% of of your at bats that you're getting zero slugging and zero on base percentage like, like you're not even not even close to getting on base not even making contact so he's got to cut that down and make some more contact to give more opportunities to keep that slugging you know even even if they're just singles or whatever if they're just ground balls that sneak through on occasion you know that's what is going to continue to keep your your on base percentage your batting average your slugging even that that's what's going to keep it up the strikeouts it's just it's not going to help and he's got to figure that out otherwise you know as time goes on even if the brewers do give him every day at bats that OPS, that OPS plus, WRC plus, whatever stat you want, it's going to drop. Yeah. Yeah, and you also will end up having fans likely end up turning at that point. Because yeah. if those numbers aren't kind of keeping it afloat, the idea of Keston Hira can, you know, be this huge contributor, well, all of a sudden that strikeout rate kind of comes more to the forefront and then the frustrations build. So. It's they're in a weird situation. It's tricky with the team, with Council, with Hira. Uh, if he can ever figure out how to um, really put the bat on the ball more. Uh, Josh Waldock, uh, who we mentioned earlier, had a really good uh, article kind of analyzing where a lot of his strikeout struggles come from. And it's not he's not chasing bad pitches. He's just plain not hitting pitches he swings at that are right there for him to, to hit. And that's almost more troubling. That it's that it's not you know he's not pulling a Ricky Weeks right now and swinging at sliders low and away and constantly <laughs> striking out he's literally striking out because of balls straight down the middle and that's worse <laughs> in my opinion to just not be able to make contact with balls that are basically you know almost on a tee uh, not even fouling it off just a whip right exactly yeah exactly so you know it, he gets more playing time maybe his numbers normalize but that strikeout rate doesn't yeah. You're going to see fans get real frustrated real fast. So they, they, the team's going to keep working with him to see if they can figure out how to stop it. But until they do, that's it's he's going to be in this weird playing time limbo situation. You know what? Maybe it could be, and I'm not sure if they've thought of this yet, um, or if we've talked about this before. I, I think I've, I might have mentioned it or thought about it before, but. You remember how Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, it was announced like this year that like, oh, he's got like vision problems and he couldn't really see that well, had to get LASIK or something, had astigmatism or whatnot. Maybe Keston has vision problems because how else do, do you explain such a good and talented hitter who, you know, has incredible bat speed and can just, you know, knock the cover off the ball when he makes contact, how he's just completely whiffing on pitches that are middle-middle, that, that he should be crushing. I mean, maybe it's it's a vision thing. We saw it with Joe Gray Jr. as well. He was striking out a bunch. He was whiffing on pitches, and they're like, oh, like you need LASIK surgery, and or you had an astigmatism or something. And, you know, they corrected it, and now he's starting to do a little bit better. Maybe that's it. Maybe they, 
maybe they legitimately just have to check his vision. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't the same thing happen with Corbin Burns as a pitcher as well? Didn't he end up going through LASIK at some point? Yeah, right. yeah. He had LASIK as well okay. after 2019. He, he used to have <laughs> the goggles before right. when he came up. Um, but yeah, and then he got LASIK. Uh, Aaron Ashby as well. He used to have uh, right. the goggles. Um, I'm not sure if he got – I haven't seen it reported that he got LASIK, but he's ditched the rec specs, so mm-hmm. I think he did. Otherwise, he got contacts or something. But maybe maybe that's it. Maybe he just needs, you know, some corrective vision. Yeah. You know? Just, just give him LASIK anyway. Like, it seems to Yeah. <laughs> Send him to an eye doctor. See what his prescription is. Because, I mean, like, if your vision is even just, like, slightly off of, like, 2020 – like it, it probably has to be better than 2020 vision mm-hmm. to be an MLB hitter. I mean, to see 95 miles an hour coming in, to be able to pick up spin at the amount of time you have to pick it up and figure things out and and process everything. If your vision is even slightly off, it makes it so incredibly difficult to to pick up spin, to pick up speed, and to put the bat on the ball. So. It honestly could just be vision. I'm not sure if they've checked on this, but I'm just kind of speculating here that maybe that could be what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's entirely possible. I would think they would because it seems like they cover those bases, but uh, yeah, who knows? They clearly didn't with Jackie Bradley Jr. Wow, that's a good point. They, they didn't know about that. Not till they but, but like if you've if you've gone through every solution, I mean they've they have cut down the leg kick, they've gone to a toe tap, they you know or, or cut the toe tap and you know, changed all of his mechanics here and there and, you know, everything to help him get on time. And, you know, maybe he's on time, but he's missing the ball because he just can't see where it is or can't see the spin and, and figure out where it's going to be going. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. Um, But something's got to fix that strikeout issue. Something has yeah. to fix it. Yeah. So whether it is vision, whether it's something else, whether, you know... He needs that fixed. He he needs to be able to cut down that strikeout rate back to probably his, his rookie season numbers to like 30%. You know, and 30% still isn't great, but you can live with a 30% strikeout rate with the rest of, of the production that he's putting up. You know, just yeah. putting the ball in play 70% of the time or something like that. And, you know, even if it's ground outs or fly outs or whatever, when you're putting it in play an extra 15% of the time, a couple of those times they're, they're going to turn into extra base hits, mm-hmm. you know, they'll turn into singles or doubles or whatever. And that's what is going to lift up all the rest of your numbers and make you an actual productive hitter that is going to play every single day. Yeah. Or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a flyout, but maybe that flyout is moving a runner from second to third um, yeah. productive outs, you know, a strikeout yeah. can't be, and unless it's the drop third strike rule, a strikeout can't be a productive out. Right. Like, a flyout can, a ground out can, like, certain outs can be, but you can't, it can't be if you're just playing, striking out and walking back to the dugout. Like, you just, you cannot be productive that way. That is guaranteed to be bad. Yeah. You got to put the ball in play. Yeah. I mean, that's, that that's just what it has been for the entirety of, of baseball's existence, you know, and, and you see the Brewers in these big situations and they got runners in scoring position and, you know, guys strike out and they, they don't put the ball in play. Like you got two guys on nobody out and you get a strikeout. Well, then all of a sudden a ground ball double play can end the inning. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's an easier path out for the pitcher. You got to put the ball in play, at least get somebody moving, you know, get someone, even if you ground into a double play, probably one of those runners, you know, the, the one runner gets to third or something, or if he's already on third, he could get home and like you get some sort of production out of it. Like you were saying, just put the ball in play. And I mean, when he does, when he makes contact, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard contact. It's just not often enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 simple as that. And unfortunately, that strikeout rate keeps climbing. Like, it keeps getting worse every year. And so that's less and less productive outs. And if, if you're going to complain that the Brewers need more offense, but be fine with Keston Hira striking out almost 50% of the time, then <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's... There, that's a big reason why he's not getting that playing time. Like you have to be able to be at least somewhat productive. So him being able to do that to cut down on strikeouts would get him more playing time because he would have a higher chance of being productive for the team and a higher chance of making that offense be more consistent, which is what all of us want at this point. Yeah, it is. It is going to be going to be key for his future because if he can't figure it out, uh, I I don't see a future for him at the big league level, either with the Brewers or with anyone else, really. I mean, if you keep striking out at that rate, it's just it, it's not going to be able to happen. So on that positive note, uh, I think we're going to call it a podcast uh, for this week. Um, so be sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at DGasper24. Matt is at MKMatt13. Uh, follow the podcast page at coldbrew underscore pod. And of course, follow Reviewing the Brew if you don't already. Uh, lots more fun stuff coming out on the website. And uh, as we get into Craig Timber coming up uh, not too long from now, uh, it's going to be a, a wild ride to the end of the season and hopefully some more uh, wins along the way. So they'll do it for this week. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.